0: If you would um, take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're actually going to begin in verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're in luck. It'll be on the screen for you in just a second. Um, I wanted to read this. We've been, just so you, in case you're new with us or just jumping in, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Or in case you slept, uh, you know, this week and you forgot what we did last week, that's cool. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And uh, we are near. This is our last sermon in the book of Philippians, and uh, it's actually going to be. We're going to start in verse fourteen. But to give it a little context, we're going to read Philippians chapter four, verse ten. Philippians chapter four, verse ten says this: Paul, writing on the inspiration of God's Spirit, says, "I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You have, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need." For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And you've probably seen this on the t-shirt. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 14. This is where we're going to be today. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, be with your spirit and that's how the letter concludes he concludes with commending this church the church in philippi for their gifts to him not that he's seeking a gift okay if you ever received um one of those letters in the mail that from from somebody trying to raise money and it's really flowery language and, hey you're a great person and i know you want to be involved with this stuff and the reason they're bringing that that commendation to you is because they want your money right? Have you ever seen that before? Maybe you got it. It's a donation to a university or something like that. Well, Paul is very clear. I don't want your money. I just want to tell you thank you, and I want you to understand what giving is about. And I, I, in, this, in this little phrase at the end of the passage, he talks about giving, giving financially. And so when we come to this, I, I want to make a blanket statement, and then I want to help define it. And so here it is, church it's the family of God. It's the called out people of God. In fact, the word church means ecclesia. Those have been called out of darkness into light. It means those who are part of the family of God. And we have we have a sermon series we went through. We talked about what the family of God is and what the church is. But here... It, it, the church is, is this family of God, these people who have been called out of darkness, who have been saved by Jesus through his gospel. And now we are this new community, this heaven-touching earth, this kingdom of God, the foretaste of the kingdom of God to come. And we're here now in the flesh. But to understand the church fully, you can't just go through a few messages. We have to see in, in the book of Philippians here that the church is a, is a sharing, a partnership, or a fellowship. That's three ways of talking about the same thing in the gospel. So the church, is we have this fellowship around who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and it naturally involves giving and receiving. So let me say this again. Church is a sharing, a partnership of fellowship in the gospel that naturally involves giving and receiving. So that's my statement, and I want to show you it's true in the Scripture. So if you look in verse 14, it says this, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now this word share... It's not like telling your kids to share, okay? Have you ever been around a bunch of kids for a little bit? It doesn't matter how old they are, sharing is an issue, okay? Especially little ones. You don't have to teach them how to say mine, okay? They're like the seagulls in uh, Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 okay? I mean, that's just how it is. Very You can tell I watch a lot of kids' movies, okay? So... We don't have to teach them how to say mine, how to be selfish, but the idea of sharing here is not, not necessarily like, you better share your toys. The idea here is a fellowship, a, a common partnership. In fact, the word here comes from the word koinonia, which means fellowship, And so when he says this, you, it was kind of you to share my trouble. He's writing to a church. Now remember, if you want to just get caught up on the context, Paul, the one who's writing this, who's an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who's sent, particularly empowered to share the gospel and to take the good news of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, ascending and coming again to the world. And he's in prison because of that. And through his gifts, through the Philippians' gifts to him, they have shared in his trouble his difficulties they have fellowshiped with him in his difficulties and they have also shared with him in his ministry success and he says yet if in verse 14 yet it was kind of you to fellowship with me in my trouble to share my trouble and then he goes on and he gives a list for them of he kind of goes through here's all the times that you've been there for me so, you know a lot of times when we're talking to people Uh, or or when we get upset at someone, we usually think about the things that they have done wrong to us. Sometimes maybe we should think about all the things they have done right in light of of the other things as well. And so Paul here is reminding this church here, it's it's just a list, Here, here are some things that you've done and ways you have fellowshiped and ways you have been a blessing to me. In verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel. Now, this is not the beginning of the gospel goes back to creation and even before that in God's plan. But what he is talking about is when he began to take the good news of Jesus around the world. And from the very beginning, when they heard the gospel in Philippi, this church, they were like, I'm all in. I want to help you. I want to help take the good news of Jesus everywhere. So he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, and if you don't know where Macedonia is, Philippi is in Macedonia, okay? So now we're we're tracking, okay? And so he says, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. And so I want you to remember that, you were at the very beginning once you heard of the good news of Jesus. You became partners with me in giving and receiving. And then he goes on and he recounts this in verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And so he goes through and he tracks and he says, listen, when you hear the gospel, the gospel makes you a people who want to send the gospel out and it makes you want to give and receive. So let me, let me put it this way. The gospel, just so we get it. I know that's a, we, gospel, you can think of anything. If you want to tell somebody you're telling the truth, you say, that's the gospel truth, okay? If you want to if, if listen to some music, sometimes you want to listen to gospel music, okay? That is one way that term is used, okay? That, that is, there's a couple different ways. But when Paul's talking about gospel, he is talking about what Christ has done. Christ being the God-man, coming to earth to save people who had rejected him and would reject him ultimately on a cross that he did not deserve to die on. And he died while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And he is a giver. God has come in Christ to give forgiveness of sins, to come to people who are messed up, screwed up, killed dead by sin and he's come to give life and he says this is the gospel that when you when it came to you Philippians you immediately wanted to get on board with sharing it to everyone else i just want to impress upon you something the gospel is the most important news you could hear i know some of us have on our phones news apps And you may have the breaking news. And some of you, okay, if you're a big sports fan, you have the ESPN. You got all your teams on your phone. And so when breaking news happens with your team, you're the first one to know it, okay? And it hits your phone up, okay? Some of you have, some of you are are news junkies, okay? And you have, when something breaks, it alerts your phone. And you're like, oh, I need to know this right away. The most urgent news is not about your sports team, the most urgent news is not about the, what is happening in the world. The most urgent news that the world needs to hear is about Jesus Christ. And, and through him and understanding him, there is a worldview attached that, that, that will help you understand the world and see your place in it and see who God is in it unlike any other. I'm here to tell you today, and you should not be surprised that the pastor of the church is telling you this, that the gospel is very important. But I want to impress upon you, and I pray the Holy Spirit impresses upon you that it is so important that it is worth giving to. It is worth giving your life, and it is worth giving your resources and your time. And, and Paul is saying to this church, from the beginning of the gospel, in all my situations and my troubles, whether it was in Macedonia or it was in Thessalonica and these different cities, you were this church who came alongside of me, and you were a part of this by giving and receiving. And so I want you to see this. He is telling this church it's a thank you to this church. It's a it's a love letter at this point to this church. It's a section of saying I love you. Thank you for being a part of the gospel. And so as we see this, and he's commending this, this is something that a church is supposed to be about. We are supposed to be about sharing, having a partnership and a fellowship in the gospel. We are. Our whole, the reason we exist is because of the gospel. The reason we come together is for the gospel. The reason we do what we do is to take Jesus, the good news, the good news of him, to the ends of the earth, starting in Trousdale County. This is good news. And being a part of a church, and our partnership and a fellowship of the gospel, it naturally involves giving. Now, the other day, I found something at, I don't know if you ever do this. I like to go to Bargain Hunt. Have you ever been to those, sto- those stores? I like to walk around in there. I don't need anything, but I'm like, this a good deal. Look, I can get 700 K-cups for a nickel, okay, for my Keurig. It's going to be awesome. I mean, the coffee tastes terrible, but it costs a nickel. So it's going to be awesome. And I, always, I find stuff, that every time I go, I find something that I don't need, but I purchase. Does anybody else do that? You got a problem with that? Okay, I do. I try to stay out of there now, okay? I realize it's a problem. So anyway, I went in, and I found, because this is what every person needs, I found a water balloon catapult. Those usually cost 12 or $14, 64 cents. Yeah, you're welcome, okay? The youth group's going to be really blessed by this, okay? It's really going to happen, okay? So I bought a... <laughs> My wife is laughing because she's like, I was there. I know. <laughs> We need new dinner plates. No, we need a catapult for water balloons. If you're, not, if you're unfamiliar with what this is, Google it, okay? Um, they're amazing. But this one was 64 cents, and I had to purchase it. I mean, I just had to. But I went up to the counter, and I reached in my back pocket, and I had no cash because it's like a thing. If I have cash, it's like pfft, it just disappears. So I had to get out my debit card. You pay 64 cents, yeah. You're welcome. You've probably done that too. There's a whole, okay, there's a there's a cutoff. If some of you think that that is totally crazy, you're of a different generation than I am, okay? I still love you. Those of us who think, yeah, <laughs> I put a nickel on a debit card, you're my generation because nobody carries cash. Paul is saying to this church, you are partners with me. And look in verse 15, and you Philippians, you yourselves know that from the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into fellowship, partnership, sharing with me, in giving and receiving except you. Now Paul gave to them, and Paul received from them. And they received from Paul, and they gave to Paul. And so their partnership and their fellowship involved giving and receiving. And why did I bring the debit card into the issue? Is because when he is using giving and receiving here, he's using financial terms. And so what he is saying is when you, hear, when you see giving, you should picture debit. You know what a debit is. A debit, if you've gone and looked on your bank account, it's the negative. This is how much has been taken out of my account. It's a withdrawal. That is a debit. So he says, you partnered with me in giving. And receiving, in debits, and giving out, whether it's encouragement, or even in this case, he's talking financially, you gave and you received. A receipt, to receive is a credit. Here's an example of a debit and a credit, just in case you're not tracking. I went to Hobby Lobby, which is man purgatory. Purgatory doesn't exist, but it's the, every man in Hobby Lobby looks angry. I hate it. I love Jesus, and I love that they worship Jesus, but I hate Hobby Lobby. I would rather have bamboo, flaming bamboo shoots shoved underneath my fingernails than be in Hobby Lobby. And one of the reasons is because is we don't ever go into Hobby Lobby to get what we want, okay? It's always like, let's look around. And I'm like, there is seven aisles of fake flowers. Who needs it? There's a whole section of fabric. Who makes their own clothes? Mennonites. Okay? I mean, there's nobody. Why does it exist? Thank God. Okay. I see the tweet or the email coming. They're a Christian company, and you should be supporting them. I love Chick-fil-A and Jesus Chicken. I can't stand Hobby Lobby. I always support them. Okay? So we're in Hobby Lobby, and we're buying some stuff at Hobby Lobby. Some of you men, just hear me, because next time you go in there, you would be like, Matt shared my heart cry. I hate it, okay? Went to Hobby Lobby, and we bought some scrapbook paper. (sighs) Look at this color! Do you like this shade? I don't care! Put it in the buggy, or I'm gonna have an aneurysm! Let's go! Whole aisle of nothing but card stock. It's it's hell, okay? It's the worst. They had, this is therapy, I think, okay? They had a 50% off thing on there. We got, it says 49 cent per card stock page for paper, thick paper, we got it. We go to the front to purchase the card stock. I see the end in sight. The doors are there. We're almost free. <laughs> they didn't take my 50% off on the card stock. I have to go back in. <laughs> no, I was outside. I smelled Freedom. So I go back in. So my card had the debit of a withdrawal of $15. Yes, for paper, okay? And then I went back in. They gave me 50% off that, which was like $750, right? And so then I received the credit back onto the account. And I so want you to get this. The church is not about hatred for Hobby Lobby. (laughs) The church naturally... Is about the gospel, partnership in the gospel, which involves giving and receiving to one another and and giving and receiving, receiving blessings, receiving fellowship, receiving encouragement, sometimes even receiving a gift, okay? But it also involves giving, giving of ourselves, giving of our time, and especially giving of our resources. Now, I want you to get, that is a natural part of church. Think of debits and credits. Now that you're keeping count of all of them, But that it should be something that's part of what it means to be a part of church life. Now, I want you to know something. The second that I started talking about giving and finances, there was a little bit of you that was like, oh, great. I come to church, and we're going to be talking about this. Because here's the thing. Giving is natural in the church, but it's become a touchy subject. And I don't think it should be, especially if understood. But I can recognize why it is. I'm going to give you two reasons why I think talking about finances is touchy in the church. Number one is this. There's a lot of false teachers and con artists. Look on any religious channel. Pretty much, if if the person's on TV, pretty much, okay? You, You can email me about this later. Pretty much if the person is on TV, they're a heretic. Pretty much, okay? Especially if they're asking you to give exorbitantly or so greatly, And they are living extravagant lifestyles, which involves trying to get a plane, which is kind of the thing that most of them are doing. Okay? On TV, probably a false teacher. Got a 99% rate. There's a lot of them out there. And you even see, sometimes late at night, them trying. And and if you see some of these terrible crusades, quote-unquote crusades that are on there, a lot of times they're trying to separate the uneducated from their money. And you see them selling prayer cloths and all these things, and, and it's, it's snake oil. they're snake oil salesmen. And because of that, there are many who think that, that, is the only re, that that's the only way church is done because they see it and it's popular. It's like you see it on TV, that must be the way things are. Well, I've been around a lot of churches in my life, and most of the ones I've ever been a part of, in fact, all the ones I've ever been a part of were not like that. So just go ahead. and Those, that, those are them. That's not a Bible church. Because a Bible church is not concerned about how prosperous you are. It's concerned about the gospel and whether you know Jesus and whether you're taking the gospel to their places. And you can tell within about five minutes of a message if it's going to be about your money, your finances, your health, your wealth, or if it's going to be about the gospel. You just can't. Because a gospel church talks about sin, a gospel church talks about Christ and raises up Christ. A gospel church talks about giving, but they do it in light of the gospel and in light of what the Bible says. Not some obscure Old Testament passage about Jabez or something like that. They talk about all the passages of Scripture. They also talk about suffering and difficulty, and they try to tell you the whole counsel of God. So that is not a reason that we should feel touchy about it, but I will tell you this. Here's the second one. I think this is much more, much more concerning for us, is the love of money is a present danger. The love of money is a present danger to all of us, everyone. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, "Don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust destroy. But what? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven." And he says that there, moth, you know. Stuff does not decay. There's no rust and moths don't eat it. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's, on the, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. So he gives us a warning. And the reason he gives us this warning is because it's something that is, we're all susceptible to. Another thing, when Jesus, there's a, a rich young man who knows the Bible, who comes to him in Luke chapter 18, and he says to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the guy's like, man, he's pretty audacious. He's like, I've kept them all. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you have. Give to the poor and follow me. <gasps> He's talking about money. <gasps> it's getting weird. And so you know what happens? The guy refuses to follow Jesus, and he left sad. you know why? Because the Bible says he was very rich. And then Jesus would go, and Jesus heard him, and he said to him, one thing you lack This is Luke 18, 22 through 25. One thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But verse 23 says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich, and love of money had come into his heart like a cancer. And verse 24 said, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there's an ever-present danger of money and the love of money and the love of what money brings, which is ease and security, to come and be an idol in our life. Now, some of you are saying, Woo! I'm glad I'm not rich. I'm not Bill Gates. Hallelujah. It's not going to be hard for me to get to the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to know something. In if you live in the United States, you are richer than most of the world. And a lot of times we're ser- it's not it's not like we're searching for well, our love of money doesn't say I want money above everything. It's no, I want the vacation I want the ease, I want the security, and that becomes an idol. I want the things. I get that. I have to fight it too. I am right now, and many of you already noticed this, my shoes, my watch, and my ring all match. You've already noticed that. That's a problem. I'm working through it. And if you did notice it now, you know it. Because the guy's talking about possessions and his shoes match his watch. I know because that's an, it's an ever-present danger. Stuff has an allure because we can see it. It's not eternal. And so why is it, why is it uncomfortable and unnatural, or it's seemingly unnatural to talk about something that's supposed to be natural to the church, the church? Paul to many of this church for giving and receiving, and from the first time they heard the gospel, they were about giving and receiving. But it's become unnatural because we've had these false teachers, but also we use when people talk about money as an excuse for us to say, no, I love it, and we don't want anybody to talk about the thing that we love. And we need to hear it because we treasure up the wrong things in our hearts regularly, and we have to fight against the love of money. Because the Bible says it's the root of all sorts of evil. Not all evil, all sorts of evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6. But Paul goes on and he echoes the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus that he quotes in Acts 20, 35. And Jesus said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so I want you to get this. In the church, the church is a fellowship in the gospel. It's a partnership in the gospel. It's a sharing in the gospel, which results in giving and receiving financially. And I want to, and he, what he does here, I want to show you, Reasons why giving is a blessing. Giving is a blessing. How, how we get to give, us having debits, okay, having from our accounts money withdrawn is a good thing and it's a blessing because Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so I want to give you, I'll argue from this text and show you here why it is a good thing to give, why it is a blessing to give. And he says this in verse 17 not that I seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, Paul wants to be very clear. I'm not buttering you up and talking about how you fellowshiped with me to try to get your money. I am good. Your gift that came. In fact, he would go on and say, if you go look down at verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. You've given me I'm abounding, is what it literally is. I've received full payment. I'm well supplied, having received your received from Epaphroditus, this guy who brought the gift. The gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so, what he is saying here is, listen, I don't, I'm not writing this to butter you up to try to get your money. I love you. I'm thankful for what God has done in you. That you are part of this fellowship of the gospel that involves giving and receiving. I don't need anything else from you, but I'm ta- I'm writing you about giving because giving is beneficial to you. In fact, what he goes and says in verse 17, or verse, yes, verse 17 is, not that I seek the gift, I'm not trying to get your money, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now we talked about giving and receiving debits and credits, and so we're talking financial language. Financial language is is given here again, and it talks about interest being accrued. First time I've ever seen interest was on a bank statement, I had a checking account They gave me, inter- gave me money back. And I was like, oh, I spent this money, and then they gave me more money back, because I had my money in the account. And it wasn't much, but I was like, that's a good deal. 'Cause that's money I didn't have. So now I had like a dollar twenty-six and I was happy about that, okay? Because that was dollar twenty-six I didn't have. And so I was like, oh, interest, okay? So I give them this money and they hold it in the bank and they use it to give loans or whatever. And and because they have that money, they pay me interest. And so what Paul's saying that I'm not writing to you to get you to give me more, because God has supplied his needs and more, fully paid up, abounding through this gift that the Philippians had given. But he is saying, I'm writing this to you because I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So giving is a blessing because in giving, giving is a good investment. Paul Paul would talk about this in another section where he's been trying to encourage the church of Corinth to give to to the needy people in Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 and 8, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you have a little bit of money in the account, it doesn't, re- doesn't get as much interest as if you had a lot of money in the account. And what he is saying is giving is an investment in the eternal. Giving is an investment in the eternal. And we can see it this way. You know, one day, and I hope it's a long time from now, you will die, and your stuff Will be gone through, ransacked, given to this person, that person, and all the stuff you have, commu- uh, have accumulated will be dispersed or thrown away. That's a real bummer of a thought. <laughs> And even if you have it, if you're like Garth Brooks and you got more money than your kids' kids can spend, their memory will be forgotten, the money will be gone, all the things you've accumulated, you, you can't take it with you when you go. I mean, the Egyptians tried, okay, and they're still dead, and all their stuff was eventually pillaged by robbers in, in the pyramids. So you can't take it with you. All your stuff will be gone. Even your earthly investments, the company may rise or fall. The banks may not be here forever. Who knows what would happen to all that stuff is temporary, and Paul is encouraging them to invest in the eternal, to give your money for eternal purposes, namely for the the gospel. So when you give financially to an entity that you are absolutely convinced as a gospel entity, you're investing in something internal. Like the investment that happened at Vacation Bible School a couple of weeks ago. That was a lot of investment. Some of you invested your sanity in (laughs) Vacation Bible School. Some of you invested your time. Some of you, because of the funds that, that have been raised here and you believe in us as a gospel church, the investments that have been made there, we were able to purchase all the things that we had, all the chicken fingers that we had to buy, which we bought. thank Thankful to Pigpen down there. They've come through for us a bunch of times. They gave us... They gave us extra chicken tenders more than we paid for because they're a gospel entity too, okay. And so they gave us some. They gave us some extra chicken fingers. We had to pay for chicken fingers so that kids could eat chicken fingers because chicken fingers was a way we could give them something good so they could hear the gospel, okay? So they don't have a hungry a hungry stomach. All right, it was good. We had to use those funds to do that, but that is investment in the kingdom work investment in souls that will go on for eternity so they can hear the good news of Jesus. And I want you to get this. Will your life, will the investments of your time and money do anything eternal? Or will it just make retirement more possible for you? Or a more luxurious lifestyle more possible? And I want you to get this, that the Philippians, once they received the grace of God, they wanted to be conduits of the grace of God, not hoarders of the grace of God. They wanted people to know it, and they wanted to invest in something eternal. They wanted to invest their money in something eternal, into the work of the gospel. And there is, we don't know what the dividends are. I could get up here and lie to you and say, you're going to have a bigger mansion in heaven, whatever that means, right? I just know that it honors God, and I don't know what those investments look like but they're worth it. And here's the deal. If I make it through life, and at the end of it, my son knows Jesus, and his family knows Jesus, and they follow him, I don't care if he's rich or what job he has, but if that's it, then my life was worth it. If not, then I screwed up and messed up, and I, it was a waste. Because there's something eternal and better, because I believe the gospel is the story of the world. It's what we need. It's the 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 best story of who Jesus is. And investing in that is an eternal investment. And he, Paul, does, is not asking. In verse 17, he doesn't want to get their money. He's not trying to butter them up so they'll give him money. But he's saying, I want you to give, continue to be people who give because it's an investment so that the fruit may increase in your life, that you may understand the dividends of godliness and giving financially to gospel entities for the glory of God. And then he also goes on in verse 18, he says giving is not just a good investment, and that's why it's a blessing, but giving is a blessing because it pleases God. In verse 18, it says, I have received full payment and more. Again, I'm not asking for your money. I'm not trying to dun you, make you, feel, make you feel guilty. I'm actually thanking you, but I want you to know this. I am well supplied, which actually could be literally translated, I'm overflowing. I got what? <laughs> When was the last time you ever said that about your bank account? It's overflowing, okay? He's, it's overflowing. Your gift of generosity to me is all that I needed. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then he describes that gift in the next two phrases, a fragrant offering, and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so here is the idea. Paul is talking about their gift that they have given, which is well supplied him. And he is using Old Testament language to describe how God is pleased with that. And he says it's a fragrant sacrifice, an acceptable offering. Now, if you read the Old Testament, there's some weird stuff in the Old Testament. Necessary stuff. Interesting stuff. Not all of it, but most of it's interesting stuff, okay? When the, the numbers, when they start counting everything in Israel on the book of Numbers, that is literally what the book of Numbers is about. Numbers, okay? It gets a little tedious, okay? But when you look at the, if you go to the book of Leviticus, you see all these sacrifices that are, are prescribed. They're different ones. There's different animals that are killed at different times. There's grain offerings. These offerings are burnt. And what the image here is, in worship in the Old Testament, There was some type of offering involved, and usually that offering was killed, giving its all, and then it was burned, or some type of incense was burned, and the smoke would literally go up towards heaven. Now, that was a symbolic thing. It's amazing how we need symbols to help us understand stuff. I do. One of my favorite television shows, one of the characters on there, talks about going to a science museum. And he says, "You see one of those, you know, those like those orb glass balls that has, like, you know, the electricity coming through it." And He says, "You see an electric ball? You touch it, your hair stands on end, and you know science." Okay, that's what I need in my life. I need something that ridiculous. Like, oh, that's what that means. Okay. And so, what we have here was is is saying that when we give or when we worship in Hebrews thirteen, it talks about the praises of God's people ascending like a fragrant aroma. It's a a tangible symbol to represent a spiritual reality and a gift given for the glory of God out of a heart not compelled by guilt, but out of love, a cheerful heart, compelled by love for God and the gospel. It ascends to God, and he is well pleased with it. The eternal creator receives that and is joyful. Joyful. Not because he needs the cash. Our God's not short of cash, folks. It's a praise that reaches him. And that is what paul is saying it is a well pleasing thing not it's giving is a blessing because it's a good investment in the gospel but giving is a blessing because it's pleasing to god finally giving in in our giving it's a blessing because in our giving we experience god's provision verses 19 and 20 and this is one of those ones man that again the book of philippians got all these verses that that are like the top 40 hits of the bible verse 19 and my god will supply every need of yours According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a verse that can also be abused. We talked about Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which talks about making the fourth down play and scoring a touchdown, folks. Pfft, no, it's not in context, it's not about sports. I can do, and we, sometimes we emphasize the wrong part in Philippians 4, I can do all things, which means God wants to make me happy and wealthy, and if I just apply this verse, I can do anything. I could jump off this building and fly. That's not what that means. In context, it's not, I, can, I can abound, I can know a lot, and I can know a little, but I know how to be content in Christ because he will strengthen me. Now, this one, you can read this verse out of context, and you can say, my God will supply every need. And when we see need, you know what we put? Want. My God, because of Jesus, will supply every want that I have. I need a Mercedes, Jesus. It's my need. I have the need, the need for speed. Bring on the Corvette. Out of context, that verse is terrible and not true. In context, though, in in the context of a people who are about the business of God, who are investing in the kingdom, God is, through Paul, is making the promise that he will supply the needs of those who seek and follow and give. You know, it's easier to give when, or, or to pay off a bill when the promises of more resources are secure. You ever, like, you got a bill and you're like, oh, man, I don't want to pay that. Well, every bill I, you get, like, oh, man, I don't want to pay that. But it's easier sometimes to write the check when payday's near. Right? Ah, oh, it's all right, because then they're going to put that money in my account. Okay? So it'll be good. And we worked a little extra this week, so maybe it'll be in that. So it's easier to give when you know the money is coming. It becomes more difficult to give when the prospect of more income is questionable. becomes more difficult right like i don't know when i'm getting paid again and it's really hard for me to give at that point but what paul is talking to them about is this he's given them the assurance that in their giving that there is a there is money coming enough to supply it you don't know when but you know it's coming why because god has made a promise and god is not short of cash And he says in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours, every need as you follow him. My God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Jesus Christ. And so here's what he's asking them to do is to continue to give in faith, not because he needs it or he wants to to guilt them into anything. Remember, he's well-supplied. Not because but he wants to do them, wants them to do it so they can invest in eternal things and they can receive the benefits of that, including getting to experience God's provision. So he says, I want you to give out of faith, knowing that God will supply your needs. Give knowing that the check is coming, okay, that he will supply what you need. But give first until it comes. Give in faith, knowing that our God is abundantly wealthy and noting this that the gift supplied here is according to Jesus Christ and his glory. So, in essence, according to means that the supply is suited to the resource and like it in kind and extent. So, Jesus, the all-powerful omnipotent, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the one who is Lord of everything, and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's in this book. The one that has given to his church a treasury of of good things when we have great right fellowship with each other. Philippians chapter 2. The God who has supplied all of our needs in Christ Jesus. He is the one that as we give and we follow and as we participate in the church in giving and receiving, he has made a promise to us that as sure as Christ is glorious, that according to his means, which are infinite, he will meet our needs. Again, not as we follow him, not for our own selfish well-being. It's like this: if God gave us what we wanted, it would be like giving a 16-year-old the keys to a Porsche or a brand new Corvette. It's just stupid. They're going to drive fast because they don't have any life experience. They're gonna run it into the wall. There's gonna be a bad. News. There's gonna be bad news because of it. Because they're not capable of handling it. If God gave you everything you wanted, it would be terrible for you and for me. He gives us what he needs. He's promising these things. And there's a blessing in giving. And finally, I want you to see this. When we give, we are part of the gospel work which bears fruit. Now, where are you getting that? Look in verse 21 through 23. This is a normal ending to a letter. Now, we usually would end a letter how? We'd start it with dear so-and-so. Then we put the body of the letter. At the end, we put sincerely. Or if it's someone you love, you put love, okay? Or if it's church, you might put in Christ. Or I don't know, sincerely, okay? I don't know. I don't know how you write letters if you do, okay? Or an email is just like name at the bottom, okay? Or sometimes you just fly it over. But in this case, when you're writing a letter here, in, in this particular time, they would, at the end, include some greetings and then the person's name. And I want you to know the greetings are interesting. In verse 21, Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you have this idea of saint that's like Catholic in nature. Not that you're Catholic or that you ever wanted to be, but you're thinking of like the saints that they have on the candles, the Dollar Tree, okay, that people would lie and that, that kind of stuff. No, saints means holy ones. Holy ones are those who have been justified, made right by God through the shed blood of Christ. And so if you are in Christ, you are a saint, And so I like to tell everybody my wife is married to a saint. Uh, (laughs) And I could say the same thing. I'm married to a saint, a holy one. Not holy on our own, but holy as given to us. So he says, all the saints, greet every saint in Jesus Christ. All the brothers in Jesus, all the sisters in Jesus, greet them. The brothers who are with me greet you. All my posse that's over here helping me as I'm in prison, they send their love to you as well. Verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Now we need to do a little context here. Paul's in prison, most likely in prison in Rome, Rome being the center of the empire. Where would Caesar live? Rome. Paul is probably in prison in or around Caesar's household, and he is letting them know That the most powerful man in the world, who at this point is being worshiped as a deity according to Roman law and tradition, in his very house are people who have turned from their idolatry, their love of money, their greed, their lust, and have turned to Jesus and have forsaken everything. And he's doing this on purpose. All those in Caesar's household you and Paul may even had something to do with that ministry there at some point he's been chained to people <laughs> in the past they had to, like to guard him they chained a, a person to him and every time they did it was like oh good now I have a captive audience to tell them the gospel <laughs> where are you going to go your job is to be chained to me he's in Caesar's household in prison remember he talks about the beginning of the book that the gospel is unhindered it's unbound. You think that the imprisonment is serving to stop the gospel, but no, the gospel will go forward. And in their giving and receiving with Paul, the church is now participating in the work that has brought Christianity into Caesar's house. And the movement of the gospel goes forward. And then he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Be encouraged, family, because when we give to a gospel entity for the sake of the gospel, there's great blessing in it. It's a good investment so that people may know. It's pleasing to God, and it rises up to him, and he receives it and is glad in that, that offering. Also, we see his provision in it, that as we give in faith, knowing that he has the supply. We get to see his provision, him providing for us time and time again, and when we give we are part of a gospel work which bears fruit, which means people come to Christ. Let me give you some, some things that have happened in our church because of giving. We've been able to go to youth camp for the last three years. We have seen several students profess faith in Jesus Christ, and several more are very close to that. That couldn't happen alone without gifts and the investment of someone in the kingdom of God. If you go to, like, I know the, the pictures we posted at camp was all of us, like, hitting each other with giant, like, we were in giant inflatable balls and running into each other. And we're all looking like, you know, we're painting our face blue. <laughs> no, it's a gospel-centered thing and we're a part of. And we're seeing many kids come to Christ through that. It would not be possible without the investment in the kingdom. Vacation Bible School. We have seen so many kids come to faith because of our children's ministry in vacation Bible school, not immediately, but through the times. Most of the kids that have come to faith have been in the journey children's ministry in youth have been in the journey children's ministry and have led them to there, and they've come to faith in Jesus. and some in the children's ministry have come to faith in Jesus. It takes money to do children's ministry. Children don't have jobs. you know that, right? And if your child does have a job, unless they're like 15 or 16. I think that's illegal, okay? I mean, like if they're like five, I'm going to the factory, that's not good. This is an investment. We've invested in college students, sending them to the Passion Conference, and seeing some of them, their lives change through that and encouraged in their faith Through that, it takes money to buy those hotel rooms to get us to Atlanta. Also, we've invested and will continue to invest. When we give part of your money that you give here, we send it to the Bledsoe Baptist Association, who gives it to the Tennessee Baptist, and then ultimately we get to the Southern Baptist Convention, and all that money we give is going towards making the gospel known through entities like the North American Mission Board, which is taking the gospel to unreached places in North America, especially in the United States. Like, we've been partnered up for the last little bit with Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, one of the most unreached cities in the world. And we get to go and give our money and our finances and our time towards that through Bledsoe. And also, we're going to start giving to them directly in this year as they launch because we want people to know Jesus. And here's what Paul's saying. You have this fellowship, this sharing. As we give, it's like we're there. Also, our Vacation Bible School, just want you to note this, we raised a bunch of money to buy medicine to send to Kenya. So we're going with Miss Allen. We're also, our church is going through Olivia, who's been a Tennessee Baptist missionary, who's been working for Vacation Bible. God bless her. She's worked for three months of Vacation Bible School. You know, hug her when you see her come in. If you don't know who she is, we'll let you know. Not a creepy hug, but a good hug, okay? Side hug for you men, all right? That is the gospel going forward, and also... You know, every year we get, a, we get an email or a, a video from some, friend, some dear friends of ours who serve at the International Mission Board who we help give money to during a lot of Christmas offering. And through all our continual giving that we give to the Southern Baptist Convention, through the International Mission Board, the Hans are in West Africa, they're operating a hospital and sharing the gospel and planting churches, and we get to see their faces all the time. And that is us coming together and sharing in this partnership and seeing people who don't know Jesus come to know him. What could be better? What could be better than that? And so Paul is commending this church and loving this church in Philippi for the way that they have ministered to him and the way that he has ministered to them. He is showing here that it is right and good for a church to be about giving and receiving. And that giving should not be something awkward to talk about, but it should be seen as a blessing. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving is a blessing because it's a good investment that people might know Jesus. Giving is a blessing because it's pleasing to God and it rises up to him and he's, it's, it's a wonderful sacrifice to him that it pleases him. In our giving, it's a blessing because we experience God's provision. Our God will meet all of our needs as we follow him according to his riches in Christ, and we glorify God through this, and Christ is glorified forever. And when we give, we're a part of the gospel work which bears fruit, which we see people come to Christ. And what could be better than that? There's something done strategically today. We had our offering before the message. Because we don't want your money. Not if, we're, if not if you're just guilted into it. You keep it. God's got us. From a county perspective, that sounds kind of dumb at this moment. But I want you to get this. You should give out of a cheerful heart what God has laid on there. And there's more room. Do you know there's more to do? Do you know there's people in this county that don't know Jesus? And they need to know Jesus. Not because they're bad, but because they're dead in their sins and they need life. And we have this treasure in jars of clay. And we're going to have to go after a new place to be some, at some point. And we're going to have to give. And it's gonna, I don't see how it's going to come, but God's going to supply our needs. And so here's the, here's the thing. I'm going to do what Paul did. Don't need your money. God's got it. But giving is a blessing. I want to invite you in, and invite you wherever you are to increase what you're doing. I mean, yeah, of course, I mean, we're a small church. Every penny counts. Every nickel counts. We watch it. But this isn't about making money. This is about the kingdom, and investing in the kingdom. I and mean, eternal investments, and I call you to consider where you are and where we could be. Where are you? Where could you be? What is your investment? There's all I like us to do. Take a few minutes. And marinate in what God's done. And I'm gonna invite you into a time of prayer. If you would, bow your head, close your eyes. It's be a time in which you evaluate your life and you evaluate your investments. If you would, let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time of worship today. Impress upon our hearts truth. If anything that was said or done, it doesn't reflect your truth, God, may it be fall may it fall to the wayside. We desire to honor you and may our lives be a aroma, a pleasing sacrifice that comes from heaven, or comes from earth up to heaven, and is pleasing to you. In all things, Lord, we surrender. Help us be more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, and we're going to be dismissed with these words. Hear these words, these good words to those who follow Jesus. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.